0: hey everyone i want to invite you to check out our brand new online learning platform windows into the bible university windows into the bible university offers a full curriculum that will help you understand how to read the words of the bible within the world of the bible it provides efficient and affordable biblical education and is revolutionizing how we study the bible by helping you to feel confident in your ability to understand and interpret the scripture. Windows into the Bible University offers monthly and annual subscriptions. Please check us out and note that going to the website, you can actually access a free course on the Lord's Prayer. That's Windows into the Bible University, -University w-i-t-b-university.com, revolutionizing Bible reading so that you can be confident in your ability to understand and interpret the Bible.
1: You're listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. Reading the Bible with understanding requires reading the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. This podcast engages the spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual world of the Bible to help transform how you read and understand the Bible. Have questions or want to interact with Mark? Tweet us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. For more insights, information about the podcast, and bonus resources and notes for each episode, visit WITBpodcast.com. Now, let's get into today's episode.
0: Do you ever find yourself confused when you read the Bible? Do you struggle to find meaning in what you're reading? When you read the Bible, do you ever feel like you're missing out on what the author intended for you to get? Would you like to be more confident in your ability to interpret and understand the Bible? I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows into the Bible podcast. One of the central figures of the New Testament is, without a doubt, the Apostle Paul. And within Western Christianity, he has become the central figure. In some ways, you could even argue, Paul eclipses Jesus as the central figure of Western Christianity. This is particularly true within Protestant denominations and movements because of the importance that Paul and his writings, particularly Romans and Galatians, played in the articulation and the formation of ideas that led to the Protestant Reformation. One of the things that's beginning to happen and has started to happen about 30 or so years ago within New Testament scholarship is a wave of scholars that have been identified as the quote-unquote new perspective on Paul who are challenging some of the assumptions in terms of reading Paul within protestant theology and interpretation and are seeking to read paul within the world of paul well obviously you know that listening to this podcast that for us it's all about reading the words of the bible within the world of the bible and that's no different in terms of approaching Paul. Now, one of the things that we need to understand and realize even is that we actually know less about the historical Paul than we do the historical Jesus. We have a few snippets of autobiographical statements. We have his letters. But quite often, we don't even know all of the issues that caused the writing of Paul's letters. And what I'd like to do today is look at one passage of Paul's in the book of 1 Corinthians, because I think that it is very instructive into how we should read Paul, number one, But number two, it actually opens us into a debate of sorts that was going on within the world of ancient Judaism. Obviously, Paul's life and ministry took him outside of the land of Israel. He traveled through Asia Minor, what is modern-day Turkey, He traveled through Macedonia and Greece. He was on the island of Cyprus. And, of course, he went to Italy and Rome. He was also in the land of Israel. But he was traveling and living and dwelling in major cities like Ephesus and Corinth and Thessaloniki, and as I said, Rome, within the Roman Empire. And these cities had Jewish communities in them, even large Jewish communities. And one of the things that scholars have recognized is that Judaism in the first century was wrestling with a couple of thoughts that were interrelated. First of all, Judaism had the clear conviction that there is only one God, and he's our God. Now, that actually sounded to the Romans and the non-Jews, the Gentiles, is atheism, which is one of the charges that was leveled by Gentiles against the Jews, that they were atheists because they only believed in one God. But because of that belief in only one God, who is the God of the whole world, that's going to create a tension of another kind. And that tension is going to be an internal tension within Judaism that says that on the one hand, we believe that there's only one God who is the creator of all the world this kind of universalism, if you will. But yet one of the central themes of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible and within ancient Judaism is that we, Israel, are his chosen people. So there's this tension between one God, our God, who created the world, and the particularism that says we are his chosen people. And we know from ancient writers like Philo of Alexandria and Josephus, as well as even Gentile writers like Epictetus, Juvenal, Cornelius Tacitus, that non-Jews were attracted to Judaism for various reasons. They were attracted to the moral, Constitution of Judaism. They were attracted to certain religious manifestations of Judaism. The question, then, though, that is going to confront Judaism is what do we do with the Gentiles? Now, you'll remember that going back to Genesis 17, the mark that was to be the mark of the covenant between god and abraham's descendants was the mark of circumcision and while we hear about different varied ways in which gentiles could align themselves and associate with the jewish community the one standard articulated both by the jewish authors and by the Gentile non-Jewish authors that marked someone as going from being a Gentile to being a Jew to convert, and the technical term is to become a proselyte, was for a man undergoing the rite of circumcision. Thus, when you hear the language of circumcision within the New Testament, This is not, as Luther and Calvin understood it, man's attempt to try and earn his salvation. Rather, it's literally the cutting of the male foreskin. And it was the mark of conversion to Judaism. But let's be honest, there's a certain ouch factor with a man undergoing the rite of circumcision, right? A Jewish boy would be circumcised and named on the eighth day, as we read already in the Gospel of Luke. He's not going to remember his circumcision. A 21-year-old Gentile convert is never going to forget it. And so, it's interesting because we actually find a number of female converts who don't have to undergo the rite of circumcision. Yet, nevertheless, We do hear of Gentile men who undergo the rite of circumcision. And it's clear from both Josephus and Philo that once they undergo the rite of circumcision, they are to be treated as Jews. Having all the privileges of being Jewish in the first century, that means you can go into the temple and you can offer sacrifices— That means you can participate in the Passover meal, but you also have all the responsibilities. What does that mean? Well, according to the Bible, according to the world of ancient Judaism, only Israel stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. And as such, only upon Israel is incumbent the law of Moses observing Shabbat, observing the holidays, keeping kosher, all of those things are required of the Jew and of the proselyte. Now, because of the paganism that existed within the ancient world, a question is going to arise within certain Jewish groups of, one, do we even allow Gentiles to convert? And some groups seem to say no. For example, uh, a work written in the second century BC called the Book of Jubilees, it basically says that only those circumcised on the eighth day, those are the only ones that are ever going to be saved, more or less. It doesn't allow for converts. Others are going to say the only way that a Gentile can inherit the world to come is to convert, become a full-on proselyte for a man to be circumcised. But there's going to be also another opinion that says, listen, it's enough for the Gentile to fear God. That's the language we hear. The God-fears, God-worshippers, it's enough for them to uphold the moral obligations, which the essence of the moral obligations of ancient Judaism are avoiding idolatry, avoiding sexual immorality, and avoiding murder, that if they will do this, they can remain in their Gentile state and inherit the world to come. In fact, we see this debate being reflected in the collection of literature known as the Tosefta, and here we hear this debate between two 2nd century A.D. rabbis. Rabbi Eliezer says, all Gentiles are excluded from a share in the world to come, meaning those who remain is Gentiles, who don't convert. Said Rabbi Joshua to him, but there are righteous people among the nations who do have a share in the world to come. So, Rabbi Eliezer is saying the only way that Gentiles can enter into the community of faith is to go all the way and become proselytes. Exactly what we find certain Pharisees who belong to Jesus' movement saying in Acts 15. But there's the opinion also of Rabbi Joshua that says, listen, we can allow for Gentile God-fears. Now, I can understand a little bit where Rabbi Eliezer is coming from because of the paganism of the ancient world. And the question becomes, can you really take the pagan out of the Gentile without causing him to lose a little skin? So this is a debate that's going on within ancient Judaism, and it's going on in the first century as attested by Acts 15, and as attested by what we find in the letters of Paul, and also a story we find in Josephus that we're going to look at here in a moment. But I want to come back to Paul for a second, because Paul is right in the middle of this debate. And Paul actually understands, and we see him articulating this in Romans 3 and 4, he understands that to, on the one hand, proclaim that God is one, that there's only one God, which of course the central confession of ancient Judaism is the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, to understand that to mean that there is only one God, which ancient Judaism did. And then turn around and say, only when you convert and become a Jew can you inherit the world to come. Paul sees this, like some of his contemporaries did, as actually challenging the oneness of God, because then we're ultimately saying that he's only the God of the Jew and not the Gentile also. But Paul is going to articulate his position most clearly— Not in Galatians or Romans, but actually in 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 17 and following, we read, Only let everyone lead the life which the Lord has assigned to him and in which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. You need to circle that and underline that. Because this is the rule that Paul has universally. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Now, who fits into that category? That refers to Jews, native-born Jews, and it refers to proselytes. And in this, Paul is very consistent, because in Galatians 5, Paul is going to say, I testify to those of you who would be circumcised, You must keep the entire law. Why? Because they're Jews now. They've converted. And so he says that if you were already circumcised, let him not seek to remove the marks of his circumcision. Now, one of the things to note is we hear about this already in the book of 1 Maccabees, that there were Jewish boys trying to fit into the Greek gymnasium where everything's being done in the nude, so it's real easy to see who the Jewish kid is on the block, Okay, that they were undergoing surgical procedures in order to reverse the process of circumcision so they could fit in in the Greek gymnasium. And, of course, the Book of Maccabees is not happy with this at all. One thing to note is that within the ancient world, they performed almost like a partial circumcision. Not to get too graphic here, but they wouldn't completely, fully remove the male foreskin. And so one of the things that could happen is men could attach weights, stone weights, to the remaining bit of foreskin and try and stretch it. So what Paul's saying is, if you are circumcised, meaning you're a native-born Jew, or you converted to Judaism, do not seek to cover up the marks of your circumcision. In other words, You're a Jew, live as a Jew, with all the rights and privileges of being a Jew, and following the law. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised, meaning you're a Gentile? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. By the way, this is exactly what Paul is arguing in Romans chapter 2. And in this, he is consistent throughout, and he is consistent with ancient Judaism. Even the most narrow-minded, bigoted Pharisee of the ancient world would not say that being a Jew makes you right with God. Rather, it's obedience to the commandments of God, which is exactly what Paul is saying here. Now, we find a story that Josephus tells about the conversion of the royal family of Adiabene. Adiabene was a kingdom that set to the east of the land of Israel, north and east, actually, right between the Roman Empire and the Parthian Empire. And this story that Josephus tells, first of all, tells us, explains to us that This is a debate that's going on within the first century of some Jews saying, nope, they need to convert, and others saying, let them remain as God-fearing Gentiles. But it sheds light exactly on what Paul is saying here and Paul's position. So let's look at this. We find this in Book 20 of Josephus's Antiquities. Now, during the time when Azates resided at Charek's Spassini, it's in Mesopotamia. A certain Jewish merchant named Ananias visited the king's wives and taught them to worship God. Remember what I said God fear, God worshiper, same language, after the manner of the Jewish tradition. It was through their agency that he was brought to the notice of Azates, that's the king, whom he similarly won over with the cooperation of the women. When Azates had learned, that his mother was very much pleased with the Jewish religion. He was zealous to convert to it himself. And since he considered that he would not be genuinely a Jew unless he was circumcised. So notice this, the zeal for conversion and conversion marked with circumcision. Remember how Paul describes himself prior to his Damascus Road experience? I was exceedingly zealous. For the law. We dealt with this actually in an earlier podcast. He was ready to act accordingly, meaning azates. He was ready to go ahead and, and convert. When his mother learned of his intention, however, she tried to stop him by telling him that it was a dangerous move. For, she said, he was a king, and if his subjects should discover that he was devoted to rights that were strange and foreign to themselves, it would produce much disaffection and they would not tolerate the rule of a Jew over them. He, in turn, reported her arguments to Ananias. The king could, he, Ananias said, worship God, even without being circumcised, if, indeed, he had fully decided to be a devoted adherent of Judaism. For it was this that counted more than circumcision. What? Obeying God. Just what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 7. It's not about the circumcision or uncircumcision. It's about obedience to the commandments of God. He told him furthermore that God himself would pardon him if constrained thus by necessity and by fear of his subjects, he failed to perform this rite. And so, for a time, the king was convinced by his arguments. Afterwards, however, since he had not completely given up his desire, another Jew named Eliezer, who came from the Galilee and had a reputation for being extremely exacting when it came to the ancestral laws, urged him to carry out the right. For when he came to him to pay his respects and found him reading the law of Moses, he said, In your ignorance, O king, you are guilty of the greatest offense against the law and thereby against God. For you ought not merely to read the law, but also, and even more, to do what is commanded in it. How long will you continue to be uncircumcised? If you have not yet read the law concerning this matter, read it now, so that you may know what an impiety it is that you commit. Upon hearing these words, the king postponed the deed no longer. And so he sends for the royal surgeon who circumcises him. But here we see these two opinions. And we see Paul articulating the same thing. But notice something very important here. Within 2,000 years of Christian interpretation, the assumption has come to be that the problem that Paul was dealing with was the issue of Judaism, that there was something broken within it, and therefore Paul is trying to fix it of sorts, or replace it, or open a new religion that's not what paul's doing at all in fact the issue of the new testament once we move outside the land of israel outside the native born jew is not the question of judaism the assumption of judaism just like what we see paul saying here is that a jew who comes to faith in jesus as the messiah will live their life as a jew as paul is shown as doing within the book of acts even to the point of performing a Nazarite vow, probably twice, which included the offering of a sin sacrifice. The question that the New Testament is dealing with, that Paul is dealing with, what do we do with the Gentiles? Do we require them, like Rabbi Eliezer, like the Eliezer of Josephus' story here with the conversion of the house of Adiabene, do we require them to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? Or do we allow them, as Ananias and Rabbi Joshua say, to remain in their God-fearing state? And Paul's ultimate argument is that a Gentile who does what God commands without converting, in effect, becomes a law unto himself. Again, this is Romans 2 and 3. And in this way, Paul's consistent. To those who are circumcised or would be circumcised, he says live as a Jew. To those who are not circumcised, he says you don't need to seek the marks of circumcision, but rather obedience to the commandments of God is what is necessary and required of both groups. The New Testament is part of the literary world of ancient Judaism. And it gives witness to the ideas, the thoughts that existed within the world of ancient Judaism. And it's very fruitful for us as modern readers of the Bible to step into the world of ancient Judaism to understand what are the issues that were being dealt with even in this situation of Jews and Gentiles. Particularly since the Reformation, but even going back before then, the Western Church has looked to Paul often to be the cornerstone of its theology. I would challenge that if we actually read Paul correctly, it's not theology that he's so foundational in helping us to understand, but it's actually sociology. How do you mix people groups that come from different social, cultural, and even religious backgrounds to forming a singular body in Christ. So in that way, I think that as modern readers, Paul has much more to say to us sociologically and about some of the challenges that we're facing within our modern communities of faith, but in order to hear him and what he would say in our modern world, we have to understand him within his ancient world. I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows Into the Bible podcast.
1: You've been listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. If you have questions related to this episode, tweet them to us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. You can also find resources related to this and other episodes at WITBpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.